My name is Aaron, and, and I'm uh, one of the pastors here, and are genuinely excited that, that you're here with us. Uh, on this Sunday, our last, what is it, our second to last Sunday at, at Southeast High School, which is just crazy to think. Um, but we're excited that you're with us. We're in a series, and to kick off this morning, uh, I want to start with a story uh, about Chippy the Parakeet. All right, Chippy the Parakeet never saw it coming. The problem began when Chippy's owner decided to clean Chippy's cage with a vacuum cleaner. She removed the attachment from the end of the hose and stuck it in the cage just as the phone rang, and she turned to pick it up and barely said hello when she heard an awful sucking sound. <laughs> Chippy's owner gasped, threw down the phone, turned off the vacuum, and opened the bag, and there was Chippy, still alive but stunned, covered with dirt and soot. She grabbed Chippy and raced to the bathroom and turned on the faucet and held Chippy under the running water. Then realizing that Chippy was soaked and shivering, she did what any compassionate parakeet owner would do. She reached for the hairdryer and and blasted the pet with hot air. Poor Chippy never knew what hit him. A few days after the trauma, a friend asked Chippy's owner to see how Chippy was recovering. And well, she replied, Chippy doesn't sing much anymore. He just sits on his perch and stares. (laughs) It's not hard to see why. He'd been sucked in, washed up, and blown over. Enough to steal the song from even the stoutest heart. I share that, you know, we're, we're doing this series, and uh, one of the reasons we're doing this series, one of the reasons I love this story, is at Mosaic, we've got a lot of chippies in the house. Um, and, and you might even say that the community of Mosaic is a, kind of a collection of chippies who, who find themselves at, at different times in their lives, sometimes right coming into Mosaic, that have been kind of sucked in and shot out and gone through the ringer and blown over. And sometimes it's because of decisions that we made, and sometimes they're because of decisions other people made. Sometimes we don't know where to place the blame, but we find ourselves kind of shell-shocked and feeling like somewhere along the way uh, we lost our song. And for some of us, we're there right this moment. And for others of us, we've been there before. And for those who have been there, and those of us especially who are there right now, uh, the Christmas season can be especially hard. Uh, For some of us, it's going to be the most wonderful time of the year. It really is. But for others of us, it's going to be the hardest, the hardest time of the year. You know, and and for those of us, especially who claim the name of Jesus, who's, you know, this is his holiday. It's his birthday. We know how we should feel. And when we don't feel that way, uh, it can make things even worse. And we can find ourselves, you know, wondering and thinking to ourselves, like, what's going on? You know, like, what am I doing wrong here? You know, or God, where did you go? What are you up to? You know, it's really great that you showed up to some shepherds in a field 2,000 years ago, but you know what would be really great is if you showed up in my life right now because I'm not seeing it. You know, it's really great that you, you know, went and visited this teenager, Mary, and let her know what you were doing in her life. But what would be really great is if you let me know what you're up to in my life because I don't see it. Like, I don't understand it. You know, and so this is just one of those, one of those seasons where we can find ourselves thinking to ourselves. Like, so, so this is Christmas? This is how it is. This is how it's going to be. And, and in this season, we've got to be careful. We, got, we just got to be careful. I just, I, this is one of those stories, like, when if, if you've been around, especially if you, like, have a cynical bone in your body, the Christmas story can be one of those stories that just rubs you the wrong way, that feels so divorced from real life, because it's often, you know, it's often, like, in a snow globe kind of a thing, on a Hallmark card, right? It's all glossed over, happily ever after, you know? It's just all is calm, all is bright, Right? And we hear that, and we see it as like, I can't relate with that. Like, that's not, that's not where I'm at. That's not been my story. And the same can be true of the characters in this, in this story. And, and what we've got to realize is, like, these were, these were real, real people. 
Real people with real pain, with real doubts and frustrations, sometimes with God, right? who experienced uh, real loss, real suffering, real stuff. Right? And maybe this is true maybe more than anybody in the person of Mary. And I don't know what your background has been with Mary. You know, you might have grown up Catholic and heard a lot about Mary, and she's kind of been a part of, like, your thing. You're always th- taught about her. Maybe you prayed to her. I mean, who knows? You know, I don't, I don't really know. But for me, like, I grew up in kind of your typical evangelical Protestant church, and we didn't talk very much about Mary. I never really knew what to make of Mary, honestly. Like, I have Catholic, Catholic friends, and they seem to really dig her, you know, but, like, we never talked about her. And I didn't really get her, if I'm really honest. Like, I just felt like I could never really relate, because all the paintings... You know, like, she just looks, like, otherworldly. She's glowing, like, literally, oftentimes physically glowing, you know, and she's just calm and serene, and I'm just like, that's not been my story most of the time. And, and here's, okay, here's my fear. Here's, here's where I want to go here. My fear is that when we come to understand or misunderstand the incredible account that is the Christmas story, to be, you know, just a, a, this peaceful scene with peaceful characters, in in a a peaceful story, uh, we can come to misunderstand the God who is at work in it all. And and we can come to misunderstand and miss what he's up to, especially when we find ourselves, you know, kind of sucked up and spit out by life, when peace feels very hard to come by. Right, and so I want to look at the person of Mary. And we're, we're introduced to Mary in Luke chapter 1. And from the get-go, here's what I love about Mary. For all the paintings and, and everything else, the cards... The very first scene that we're introduced to her in the Bible, like she's not presented as a superhuman character. In fact, get this. This is Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. And that virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And, and check Mary's response. I love this. Mary was greatly troubled. Not just troubled. She was, she was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Very first scene we're introduced to Mary. And God sends an angel, shows up. This is like one of those moments that, I don't know about you, I haven't had very many moments where angel shows up, you know, in my bedroom and God gives me a direct word. Like that just hasn't been a part of my thing. But this happens for Mary. And the response immediately is not, hey, all right, you know, like, unshakable faith. Like, God is good. Let's do this thing. What do you want? I'll do that. You know, it's like, no, she's actually really upset. And she's really troubled and disturbed. And the angel, of course, as those of you who know the story, goes on and shares, look, God is about to do something in your life, in this world, that has never been done before. And you're going to have a baby. You're going to get pregnant, and it's not going to be by Joseph. All right, God's going to do this thing. And it's going to be done through you. And, and so Mary is given this, uh, let's just put it lightly, very challenging task. And, and I think for us, like, it's really easy for those of us who have been around church especially to jump to the end of the story because we know how, where the, all this goes, right? Like we know it's coming and, and we can jump into song and we, we know where it's going. It's very easy for us. But Mary had no idea. In fact, I'll tell you, she did know some things. And here's what Mary did know. She did know that she's not married and that she's going to have to tell her fiancé that she's pregnant and the baby's not his. And she's supposed to try to convince him that, oh, yeah, God did this. You know, like, who's going to believe that? All right, not me. Megan came up to me and said, hey, I'm pregnant, and it's 
It's God. Holy Spirit, rejoice with me. It's not going to go well. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not buying that. But she knows, like, this is the next step. She's going to have to have that conversation with the man that she loves. She also knows that uh, she knows what happens to betrothed women who are unfaithful in small Jewish towns like the one she lived in. Right, she, she knew it was probably gonna go, how it's probably going to go down, and she's going to be paraded to the public square, if you will, public place in this town. Her hair is going to be let down. She's going to be stripped of her jewelry. Her body is going to be exposed in shameful ways. And she's going to be an object lesson to show all the other little girls that this is what happens when you live like that. This is, this is what happens to girls like Mary. Right, she knows that this isn't just going to... Well, first of all, she knows that saying yes to God, I mean, it, it's probably going to cost her her marriage and possibly her life. Right, it's a very serious call. She knows this not only affects her, this affects Joseph as well, even if it doesn't cost her her marriage. She knows that, that his reputation as a righteous man is going to be called into question and that as an observant Jew, he's legally required to divorce her. And if he doesn't, he's going to pay for it. He'll pay for it with his reputation. She knows that her son is going to be known as the bastard of the village. He's going to be accused of being an illegitimate child. And there's going to be special assemblies on a regular basis that he's not going to be able to be a part of. She knows that. Or she knows that she lives in a small town. Anybody else here live in a small town at some point in your life? number of us? Yeah? Can you remember what happened when that scandalous thing happened in town? They talk, man. Like, everybody's going to be talking. Everybody's going to know, and nobody's going to believe her story. This is how she's going to be known from now on. Oh, that Mary. Mm-hmm. Heard about her. Right? And if what New Testament scholars tell us is any indication from what we read in the Gospels, they suggest that very few people believed Mary's story. And of course, it was, this would be no surprise to Mary whatsoever. She expected as much. Who's going to believe her? Right? And so she knows, she didn't know a lot, but she knows that her saying yes to God and being a part of God's redemptive plan is going to come at a great cost. Great cost to her. From the outside looking in, no one, no one would have looked at Mary's life, at what she's going through, at the cost, at the struggle, at the conflict that would surround her from this day forward, and use the word peace to describe it. Nobody. Because that's not what peace looks like. Nobody would have looked at, at Mary's life and said, you know, this is a woman clearly favored by God. In fact, her Jewish peers especially would have assumed, like, no, this is a woman who's clearly cursed by God. Nobody would have looked at her life and said, hey, here's somebody who's walking with God in the center of God's will. Right? And quite, quite the opposite. They would assume that, you know what, this is a woman who clearly has lived in sin, and now God has abandoned her, and she's living with the consequences of her actions. Right? Nobody would have looked at her and, and thought, you know what, this woman is really blessed. Only one person ever described Mary that way. It was Elizabeth when the Holy Spirit came on her. But everybody else, no, you look at her life and say, no, this is a woman who's not blessed. She's going to live a very hard life. And many people thought that she deserved that. Nobody would have said, that's a person who knows the peace of God. That is, that is a person who knows peace right there. No, nobody. And, and let me just ask you a question. Would you? Honestly? All right, if you think about the, equi- the equivalent in your life, somebody who, who's maybe in a similar kind of situation, probably not impregnated by God, you know, minus that detail, right? but somebody who's experiencing a lot of pain, struggling, hardship. Right? How quickly, just, just a little reflection, you don't have to share this with me, just a little personal reflection. 
How quickly do you find yourself assuming that God is absent, maybe in just your own life, when things get hard? Right, when he's not answering your, your prayers in the ways that you want. How quickly are you to question whether he's trustworthy when you find yourself really struggling? Right, how often do you find your, yourself wondering, perhaps, if he's even good when things go wrong? See, I, I share this because I think most days, like, we're not all that unlike Mary's peers. When it comes to judging what's, what's going on in our own lives, in this world, when it comes to discerning where God is at work and, when he, and where he's not, when it comes to interpreting the hardship and the struggle and the suffering that all of us experience at times. All right, but Mary, Mary understood something that her peers did not. Mary understood something about God's unfolding work in the world, about the peace that he was offering that her peers did not get. And so in verse 46, after she gets over the shock and certainly the loss, I mean, her dream, her plans to live a quiet life, right, as Joseph's wife, I mean, those were out the window. And once she finally got over that and grieved that, I want to read for you what she says. These are amazing, amazing words. This is, this is the first Christmas carol ever written. And it's written by Mary. This is what she says. She says, My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. What? For the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is His name. His mercy extends to those who fear Him. From generation to generation, He has performed mighty deeds with His arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped His servant Israel, remembering to be merciful merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised his ancestors. Right, these, are, these are amazing words from a woman who is signing up for a lifetime of suffering. She says, my soul gratifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices because he's been mindful of me. I am blessed. He has done great things for me. He has been merciful to us. Just as he promised, man, perhaps she knows and understands something about the peace of God that we don't. There's another in, in Mary's song that she mentions. And uh, he had his own ideas about peace and how to achieve it. He was king. His name was Herod. And Herod believed in good old-fashioned peace. And in getting it the good old-fashioned way. Peace in Herod's mind, I think, was similar to what most of us think about and understand when we think about peace. Right? Peace is the absence of conflict. Right? Peace is the absence of pain. Peace is the absence of enemies. The absence of hardship. And he believed the quickest, most effective way to get it was to eliminate anyone and everything that might represent one of those things. Herod knew the way the world worked. He knew how to get power and he knew how to keep it. Herod actually became king by hitching his wagon to Julius Caesar. Right? And then Juli when Julius Caesar was assassinated and Mark Anthony stepped on the scene, he had the ability to convince Mark Anthony, oh, I've always been your guy. Julius Caesar, pfft, I've always been a Mark Anthony guy. And then when he was overthrown by Caesar Augustus, Herod said he'd really been on Caesar, Caesar Augustus' side all along. Right, this is a man who knew how the world worked. He's married at least 10, to at least 10 wives, had at least 43 kids, and most of those marriages were politically motivated. 
Right? They were all about obtaining and holding on to power because Herod knew how the world worked. He knew how to get and hold on to peace. The only wife he ever loved, was, a, according to Josephus, was a woman named Miriam. And he loved her. In fact, he was pretty obsessive about her. But somewhere along the way, he began to question her loyalty. She bore him five children in seven years. Um, but when he grew to be suspicious of her, he, he had her killed. And he didn't trust her mom either, so he had his mother-in-law executed as well, which may be understandable to some of you. You thought about it. He actually did that. He killed his mother-in-law. Then he had two of his brother-in-laws executed. After that, he thought two of his sons who were born to him by Miriam were a little too ambitious, and so he had them smothered as well. His barber stuck up for those two sons, and you can guess what happened. He killed his barber as well. On King Herod's deathbed, he had another son who was under guard at that time. And the son had heard that his father was about to pass or had passed. And so he tried to bribe the guard to let him go. And just five days right before Herod died, he had his third son killed as well. Herod wanted to be known for huge, magnificent building projects. He had a nickname. He was called Herod the Great. Anybody want to guess where he got that nickname? Yeah, he gave it to himself. Humble guy. In fact, part of the reason the temple was, um, was controversial in Jesus' day is he, he, built, he built some of that. He built it, and it was called Herod's Temple. And he built it on the backs of the poor. Right? His taxation, his economic policies absolutely crushed the poor. In Jesus' day, which, by the way, included Mary, who would fall into that category, and her family. In fact, a lot of Jesus' stories, if you've noticed... Um, are often, they'll, they'll be somewhat connected to somebody owning land and then returning to check on that land and to check on their servants. Well, part of the reason for that is because the rich would come in and they would just take what they could. If you had the power, you just took what you wanted. That's what Herod did. And so poor people like Mary's family, poor people exactly like Mary's family, lost their land and became hopeless in that economy. They became peasants. And the wealthy, by the way, particularly Herod, bloated on the backs of their suffering. When he was dying, Herod knew that people would not mourn him. In fact, there might be a party thrown. And so he had 70 of the most elite citizens in in Jerusalem arrested. And then he gave his sister the order that on the day he died to execute 70 of the most important and beloved citizens. Because there was going to be crying. There were going to be tears on the day that Herod died. This was the powerful and rich Herod the Great. Other title, by the way, King of the Jews. He knew how the world worked. He watched them come. He watched them go. He watched them rise. He watched them fall. He knew who the players were. He knew the players were not. He knew who counted and who didn't. He knew how to outmaneuver, outweight, outsmart, outfox, outintimidate anybody. He knew. He knew how to achieve peace with the sword. And he wasn't hesitant to wield it. Peace is when conflict is gone. Peace is when enemies are crushed. Peace is when pain and suffering is what they experience, not us. That was peace. But for Herod and for all like him, Peace would be the one thing that he could never really get a grasp on. One day we're told some strangers came to Jerusalem. They were called the Magi, visitors from the east. And they began to ask this question in Jerusalem. They asked, where is the one who was born king of the Jews? King of the Jews. That was a political title. That was Herod's title. So now you understand the next phrase. When Herod heard this, he was disturbed. And now you understand the next phrase, and all of Jerusalem with him, because when Herod ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Meanwhile, Mary, this little, broke, 
teenage pregnant girl sings her song. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. Who is proud? He has brought down rulers from their thrones. Who's on the throne? He has sent the rich away empty. Who's rich? You need to be careful, Mary. You go around talking about rulers being thrown from their thrones because your little baby is being born. Somebody's going to get angry. Start talking like that, somebody's going to get crucified. And you'll notice a very interesting pattern in her song as she describes what God is doing. God is initiating through this little boy. He's brought down rulers and lifted up the hungry, the humble. Right? He, he has filled the hungry with good things, but he's sent the rich away empty. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts, but he's been mindful of the humble state of a servant. What's going on here? God is reversing everything. Peace would now come in a way that hadn't previously been seen in ways that people like Herod wouldn't understand. Right? It's the beginning of what the New Testament scholars call the great reversal. Right? It's the beginning of what Dallas Willard called the law of inversion, which is the great law of the kingdom of God. Right? Because the question in life is this. This is what Herod was seeking to answer for everybody. Right? Who's in and who's out? Right? Who's up and who's down? Who's the winners? Who's the losers? Right? And men like Herod, they understand the way the world works. Right? The blessed are those uh, are, who are beautiful. Right? Those who are rich. Blessed are the successful. Blessed are the secure. Blessed are those who get what they're after. Blessed are those who know how to climb the ladder. Blessed are those who know how, who counts and who doesn't. Right? Blessed is Herod and people like him. And Mary says, <laughs> no, no, no. The way that the world describes this, they, they get it exactly wrong. Now God is flipping everything upside down. Now heaven is invading earth. Now the law of inversion is beginning to play out. Right? But for Mary, we've got to get this, for Mary, the one who calls herself blessed, the cost has been, and it will be, very great. The cost of giving birth to the Prince of Peace is going to cause her to live a life that those looking in on her life from the outside would describe as anything anything but peaceful. And yet she has the audacity to, to say and to sing, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices because he has been merciful to me. I am blessed. He has done great things for me and he has been merciful to us. Maybe, just maybe, she gets something about peace that we don't get, that Herod didn't get. Perhaps God's idea of peace for his people is different than what the world would tell us peace is. Or maybe, it has, uh, maybe it's bigger. Maybe it's more expansive. Maybe the vision for it is, is much larger than simply protecting his sons and daughters from pain and hardship. So I think in Mary's life we find that, that peace, right, real peace, the peace that eluded Herod his entire life, the peace that lasts, has little to do with the absence of something and everything to do with the presence of someone. Right? Because Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Right? He comes to bring peace to a world that had been without it. The kind of peace that we're told in the, in the Scriptures that creation groans for, is desperate for, is starving for. He comes to bring that peace. But it doesn't look like Herod expected. It's, 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 it's not the, the kind of peace that only exists when all the battles had been fought and the enemies had been crushed. Oh no, this was a different kind of peace. 
Right? This, this was a peace that would come instead not, uh, through a God who would not kill his enemies, but instead would lay down his life for them. Right? A, a peace that was brought not through the sword, but through his spirit. Right? A peace that not tried to, to crush enemies or avoid enemies, but a peace where actually to pray for them, to serve them, to love them. And Jesus goes off and dies for them. Wow, this, this is a different kind of peace brought through the kingdom of God. There's a peace that no invading army or ruler could take away. Right, a peace that, that cannot be stolen by illness or loss or failure it is a peace that cannot be robbed by addiction or adultery or rape. It's a peace that reaches to the very depths of a person, to the weary soul that longs to be satisfied. It's a peace for all the chippies out there. The chippies of the world have been sucked up and spit out and covered in dirt and soot and lost their song somewhere along the way. In fact, we're told in the scriptures that this peace has a name, and his name is Jesus. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14 actually say this. It says, But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away, far off from God, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For Christ himself is our peace. Right? Jesus is going to be this peace. He is the source of it. He is it. Right? The peace that, that your soul longs for. I'm telling you, you can look everywhere for it. You can choose the way of Herod in many ways we do. Many days, in all different ways. And it may not be with a sword, Right, but we look to circumstances to bring us peace. And when it's not there, we assume oftentimes when God is absent, that he's gone, that he's not at work, that we are outside of the will of God. But man, in, in Mary's story, we see something very, very different. Very different. Right, she, she has these incredible words. You know, after, after the announcement is given to her and she gets over the shock and the loss and the grieving for her future, it's going to look a whole lot different. She says, you know, May it be to me as you have said. Right? Not my will, but yours be done. Right? And surprise, surprise. Right? Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane getting ready to suffer to usher in this peace to you and me. And what is this prayer? I'd rather not do this, God. If there's any other way, let's do that. But not my will, but yours be done. Right? God, God offers us in Jesus this unshakable peace of Mary. And it just amazes me that we're still trying to manufacture that of Herod. Herod, for all of his power and and wealth, peace uh, he could not buy and peace he could not manufacture. He would never find it. He was a man at the mercy of his circumstances. So much so that when a baby shows up that bears his title, we're told that he's disturbed. And he actually insists after that on killing a lot of people to try to distinguish him who has been called king of the Jews. And yet Mary, amazingly, is called to this life of suffering and hardship, and she can't stop praising God. What is that about? This is a different kind of peace indeed. And I ask you, why on earth would we choose Herod's way? Why on earth? Right, and so I say all this, I say all this because I know that in a room this size, and in a community like Mosaic, there, there's some hurt represented uh, in this room. Right? And you might find yourself questioning whether God has abandoned you altogether. Whether he gives a rip about what you're going through. Because things have been hard. 
right, and the way of the world, Herod's way, right, that is equated with a lack of peace, as if God is absent. And I just, I just want to tell you, just because it's hard doesn't mean you're doing it wrong. Right? And just because you're experiencing pain does not mean God has bailed on you. And in fact, I would even go as far as to say, you know, the more that you start to say yes to Jesus, the more you actually might find yourself being led into circumstances that involve, at times, pain. At times, suffering. Because when I look at Mary's life, that's what I see. A lifetime of suffering, and she can't stop praising the Lord. Is it because she calls herself blessed? Is that because she doesn't experience any pain or suffering? Oh, no. But it's because God was using her to do something extraordinary in the world. Right, they're, they're, the title of this message is, There's Something About Mary. Right, but the thing about Mary is it was never about Mary. Unlike Herod, she didn't look to, at her circumstances to try to discern what kind of God God was. Right, and she didn't take her pain and disappointment and the loss of her dreams to mean that God had bailed. Instead, she was taking her cues from God himself this prince of peace that would be born to her. And there she found a peace that, as the scriptures describe, it it transcends understanding. Like the the Herods of this world, they look at people like Mary, and she does not make sense. It is the greatest irony that the man with all the power and all the wealth to take what he wants when he wants it cannot find peace. And yet the woman who is poor has nothing. She's completely defenseless, can't help but rejoice. And God uses her to usher in God's grace. There's something for us there. And so I say all that to say, you know, just because things are hard right now, it doesn't mean God is gone. And in fact, sometimes it is in the pain and the disappointment and the suffering that God does his best work. I look at Mary's life, that's what I see. And I look at Jesus' life, and that's what I see. And I look at the life of the disciples who would come after him in the early church on the other side of Pentecost. And that's what I see. A world that tries to crush what God is doing in this world and it just explodes like wildfire. People who lose everything and as they are being killed can't help but speak of God's grace and the peace that they're experiencing. And so my encouragement to you is one, don't assume that God is absent. And don't shy away from the pain. In fact, some of the pain that you're going through, just to be clear, I don't don't think necessarily that that God even wanted you to walk through that necessarily. Because let's be honest, sin was never a part of the plan. And a lot of the pain and the suffering is as a result of sin, which again, was never what God intended. It's not a part of the story in the beginning. And by the way, it's not a part of the story in the end. So pain is temporary. So you might be experiencing something because somebody sinned against you and God never desired for that to happen. And if that's you, I am sorry. But you have to know, just because you're there does not mean that God has left you. It does not mean that God is done with you. And it doesn't mean that you can't come to experience, as the scriptures describe, the peace that does not make sense. The peace that transcends understanding. But the only way to get that peace, if the Bible is true, is not by looking to your circumstances or taking it for yourself, as Herod did, but by looking to Jesus, because that peace had a name. Romans 5.1 says this. It says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord 
Jesus Christ. All right, this is the peace that we celebrate on Christmas. All right, it's the dawn of redeeming grace. And it is a peace that has been changing the world ever since, one life at a time. A peace that God offers even to the Herods of this world, if only they will bend the knee. And so just this morning, wherever you are, for those in the room who have been sucked in and shot out and blown over and gone through the ringer, I want to give you the chance to cross that line of faith and place your faith and trust not in your circumstances, not even in your, your future plans or what you're hoping for yourself, but in the one who offers peace that cannot be stolen by anybody. All right, and so why don't we bow our heads and, and close our eyes. And if you've, you've never done that before, I want to give you a chance to do that. And I want you to know that this is not a promise of a carefree existence, free from pain or suffering. Not a God who is going to necessarily scoop you out of the storm, but it is a God who promises, I will be with you in the storm. And if you've never made that that commitment, if you've never crossed that line, I want to just encourage you to pray with me now. Lord God, I want that peace. And I confess that I've been looking for it in a lot of different places. I can't find it. But I want it. I'm done playing Herod's game, trying to control things, looking for peace in all these things other than you. And today I'm making the commitment to place my faith in you, the Prince of Peace. And I'm asking you to give me what no one else can. And that is a peace that cannot be robbed. It cannot be stolen. No amount of suffering or pain or disappointment can rob that away. I want that peace. And Lord God, I pray for for us as a community of people. As people called to be peacemakers in a world without it. That you would give us the courage to step in step into the conflict, to step into the pain, to look for suffering and run there. Because that's what Christmas is, is all about. It is your unleashing grace and the peace that can only come through your grace on a world that is desperate and thirsty for a peace that only you can give. So Lord God, may we be a community with the calluses loving well. A church with the dirt of our city underneath our fingernails. People who are willing, like Mary, to say, hey, not my will, Lord, but yours be done. And if you're bringing grace to a hurting world that's going to require me to suffer at times, then so be it. I am blessed to be a part of that. Lord, I want to know that peace. And I pray that you would bring us into that. Lord God, we come to you now from a lot of different places. Lord, we ask that as we stand and as we reflect on even the words of this song, that your work in our hearts would continue. Continue into this morning, to this afternoon, to, to this week, Lord God. 
that you would wrap this place and these people, us, in peace. So we pray these things in your name and all God's people said, amen.